This episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, building the legal, business, and technology infrastructure for church plants. Find out more at auxilio.partners slash five points. Welcome to the Five Points Church Planting Podcast, where two church planters are just trying to make one good point. Today on the pod, we have Dr. Tom Gibbs. He has served as a youth director, a college minister, planted a church, and been a lead pastor for over 24 years. Currently, Dr. Gibbs is the president at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. We're thankful for him taking a few moments to encourage us today, and we trust that it will be an encouragement to you as well. So here we go. Welcome to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today and a reminder that Jesus can work miracles. Uh, Dr. Tom Gibbs, he's the new president of Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, which is the official seminary of the Presbyterian Church in America. Tom is a graduate of Auburn University. Josh and I are both big fans, although not graduates, which is probably typical for rooting for Alabama. Uh, we, we like to say Roll Tide. He likes to say War Eagle. It's probably the biggest rival in North America. I think you can make a strong argument for that. So the fact that we are talking and sharing and laughing and, and, and hearing from one another is a reminder that Jesus can, can work miracles. Uh, Tom, we're, we're grateful to have you uh, with us today. I will say that when I found out that it was a war eagle uh, on the line with us today, I was actually forced to do this, but uh, we are still <laughs> glad to have you nonetheless. But uh, uh, all jokes aside, it is great to have you with us today. And I'd love to just start with uh, maybe just you telling us a little bit about your experience with church planting, uh, specifically in San Antonio, and just some of your experiences there that, that might benefit some of our listeners. Thank you, Josh and uh, Hunter. It's great to be with you guys and for the invitation. And And I, I love to um, uh, meet with the sinners and the tax collectors and Alabama fans. <laughs> um, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, but um, church planning in San Antonio, one of the one of the greatest experiences that I've had had given to me by the Lord um, in 2002 my family moved to San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I'd been previously serving with RUF at Baylor University, and um, the Southwest Church Planning Network had called us to launch a new church in the city, and this was uh, going to be what we call a scratch plant or a parachute plant. We didn't have a core group, and we were, at the time, San Antonio, and it continues to be one of the most uh, rapid growing cities in the United States, about 15 to 20% every decade. And, and, and San Antonio was just exploding at the, at the end of the nineties and, and it's continued. And we, um, we felt like God was calling us. The network was seeing that opportunity for, for, um, for uh, that, that gospel opportunity in the city of San Antonio. And, and uh, there was just a, a real, strong linkage and sense of call. And uh, we wanted to plant in the urban corridor of the city, which at the time was uh, 
a new concept in the city. There, there was no church planning happening in the urban center of San Antonio at that time. Um, the sort of renewed urbanization in, in other cities uh, had not yet occurred in San Antonio, although it was just beginning, the seeds of that were just happening. All of the church planning in San Antonio at the time was uh, rimming the city, particularly on the north side. And so we were sort of bucking that trend and going against the current. And um, uh, and yet we really saw this um, this this opportunity to connect with with that population that was coming back to the city, and and that that really was um, sort of the, the 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 hook for us in terms of the gospel opportunity, a growing city, um, and just the love of of the the culture in the city of San Antonio that attracted us to it, and. When we moved without a core group, that means networking is going to be a critical component of, of church planning. And so th that's what we began to do. And, and we began to um, meet people and build friendships. And some of those friendships became partners with us in the ministry. We launched a Bible study in our home and that Bible study grew into a core group and that core group grew into a, ch a church worship service that we launched in February of 2003. Um, from there, um, and we launched in, in the downtown um, area, just two blocks from where Redeemer now currently worships. And um, we, uh, we, the church rapidly grew. Um, after the first year, we were right around 200 in a worship service. And, and then the church just kind of grew from there as it, um, uh, as it continued to uh, worship and build community and do mission in the city. So, Dr. Gibbs, you mentioned that you moved from an RUF uh, ministry position to planting a church. Talk about that transition. What is similar moving uh, from one ministry to another, and what was different planting a church? Thank you, Reed. Um, and by the way, thanks for also being part of this. Um, you know, in many ways, church planning and, and campus ministry are the same, particularly when you're starting a campus ministry. So I had the opportunity to launch the RUF at Baylor University back in 1997, right out of seminary. And so the networking, um, the priority on evangelism, um, the need for vision casting and fundraising, uh, those are all elements that transfer into the church planning space. Uh, very, very important to what we were doing at San Antonio. I, I think the differences relate to scale and complexity and just the stakes. Um, when you think about a campus ministry, um, you, you have the advantage of a captive and bounded audience that is, uh, e even though the, 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 the campus is in some ways, um, you, you know, a diverse set of uh, diverse community with lots of different view, view, viewpoints being shared, there is a, a certain population that's interested in spiritual things and is interested in exploring campus ministry. And, and, and so in a campus context, you're able to connect to that population and, and then network and, and build, build a ministry What's so different in a church planning context, especially in a scratch context, when you don't have a core group, is, is 
finding the handholds from which to build that network. Um, and you, you have to start literally from scratch, like uh, meaning your neighbor um, and the family you met in the playground and the person you talk to in the coffee shop. And, and those relationships have to have a certain level of stickiness from which fuller relationships can emerge. Um, and then even some of those relationships become gospel-oriented and evangelistic opportunities. And so the networking aspect is just much more complex. Um, and the stakes of that, you know, your, your, your livelihood and, and it maybe in a new way is dependent upon your effectiveness in that. Um, and, and I would just say also the contextual factors um, are, are really important uh, and they change from city to city. Uh, there is some diversity, of course, in, in a campus environment, but college is still college. And there's just a lot of similarity about what's happening on the college campus. But in church planning, um, th there can be a, a, a big difference of, of, um, of uh, what's happening and how we approach a particular city, whether it's rural or urban, whether it's in the East or the West, whether it's in the South or, or the Midwest. And, um, and even within Texas, San Antonio is a distinct culture from say Dallas and Houston. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a Latin city and that changes the way you approach the city. And, and so becoming aware of those contextual factors are really, really important. Tom, you have been a pastor. You are a pastor. You lead a seminary institution that prides itself in training pastors. Uh, the last few years have been very difficult and very challenging for church planters due to, on a great level, the pandemic and on a lesser level, the economy and all that that brings. Um, as a pastor with church planting experience, what advice would you give to church planters as they are starting out on this journey? Or maybe they're a few years already involved in their plant. Yeah, that's a great question, Hunter. And having been in this role for just a year, uh, the bulk of the COVID crisis uh, I had to navigate as a pastor. And, and so I really felt those pressures, uh, not as a church planter, but as a pastor and, and the, uh, just the conflictual dynamics that began to emerge and, and, and how, how that um, overwhelmed our systems um, in terms of finances, relational pressures, and and many of us, I think, felt that we were under-resourced um, in terms of doing the new kinds of lifts, digital engagement that, that we weren't really ready for or planning for. So um, so I'm just real sympathetic to those pressures, and, and uh, the seminaries had to navigate them as well, and, and uh, we're sort of... I think uh, my daughter just came down with COVID today. So, um, I mean, COVID's still with us, but, um, but uh, you know, one of the things that I think so critical for church planters in the, in the church planning space is the notion of resiliency. Right. Um, it's a long game when you're mm. planting a church. And so we have to, cultivate resiliency to press through the disappointments and the discouragements. 
that are going to come. Um, we just have to prepare ourselves that for every every uh, win, we're going to experience maybe ten, you know, disappointments, and 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 I think that 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 can be a recalibration in ministry, particularly if you've come from a setting where you've known a lot of, um, you know, things have been relatively, you know, successful or, or, or fruitful. Um, and you're in a church planning space and things have changed. You're in a, in a more challenging context. You're in a more, um, the, the headwinds are stiffer. And of course, COVID brought some stiff headwinds. And so I think resiliency is, is really key. And so then I think, what are the things that, that go into resiliency? And I, I think, um, uh, community, um, both like, like who is, who is the church planner gathering to themselves as accountability, um, mentors and, and also friends, uh, fellow pastors, um, those are just critical. Um, and then coaches, I, I think w- when we think about, uh, the long game, we need somebody who can step into that space with us, but also offer real-time perspective and, and, and help us um, see our situation more objectively. Because as a church planner, what we do is we, so, we feel so personally tied to the experience. Yeah. Uh, it can be hard to gain that objectivity that might help us um, be more strategic or more effective or, or whatever. So, so I think coaches are really key to resiliency and and, and friendships, good gospel community. Um, and I, I think attending to our marriages, um, you know, we, we never go into the church pastoral space alone. Mm. And we're always bringing our families and our spouses. And, and if we, if we feel, you know, we, we ignore their part of that story to our own peril. Right. And, and I just think, man, it's so important that, that we be attending to that side of the ministry equation uh, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, anyway, resiliency, that's the big thing that comes to my mind. And then just recognizing that, that um, ordinary faithfulness, uh, yeah, you know, I think, I think sometimes even in the PCA, we, we can prejudice a, I don't want to say revivalistic experience, but, but, um, but that, that the expectation is uh, growth is going to happen in these, these, um, these big moments. And, and I, I actually think that, I mean, that may occur and God, and if it does, then may God be praised for it. But I think in terms of cultivating resiliency, um, it's much better for us to have uh, sort of the, the, the ordinary faithfulness um, uh, mindset govern our day and our year and, and just think about what are, the, what are the things that I need to be faithfully attending to. And again, being very strategic, being very contextually sensitive, um, uh, employing and deploying best practices, but, but, not, but not attaching um, uh, undue expectation to that. Because I think those expectations can really rob our joy. Hmm. Um, so I think our, our just that call to ordinary daily faithfulness. Now that's extremely helpful, and uh, yeah, just the 
you know, I can't say enough. I, the, <clears throat> in Lafayette where I am, uh, it was, it started off as a scratch plant as well. And, and, uh, early on kind of, uh, kind of developing key kind of relationships and connections with networks and things of that nature, setting up coaches, you know, a coach, uh, having someone in, in place, those things were so, uh, helpful, uh, in those early days of just, you know, you feel like it's coming at you every which direction. You feel like you got to scramble to get it all done. It's all on your shoulders and having those kind of steady voices are, are so helpful. So thankful for, uh, for those words. Um, as I think about additionally, as I think about kind of those early days of scratch planting and, and coming in and getting settled, uh, I had a lot of voices, you know, kind of speaking into that process process early on. Uh, some of that advice was super helpful. Some of it, I realized kind of getting into it. Uh, sometimes you eat the meat, leave the bones and kind of some things work in the context you're in. You talked a lot about context uh, there as well. And so I just wonder what advice, um, you know, you, you got uh, early on as you were starting the church plant there that you found helpful as you started, maybe some of the things that were most helpful for you early on when you started and some of the things you, you, you thought were going to be most helpful and maybe kind of realized contextually it wasn't, uh, it just didn't play out uh, where you were. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but I think back to, okay, what was the advice that I got and, the, and then the lessons that I learned? Um, so this might merge a little bit together. Um, but I know some of the advice I got that really I appreciated, and that was the, the importance of having a positive vision. Um, in church planning, um, it can be very easy for us to craft a mission vision um, and position ourselves in reaction to some movement or other group or personality, church in the community. And, you know, this is what often happens in a church split. You know, you have one group reacting to another church and, and, and that brings a lot of energy and, and togetherness. But inevitably, if that church doesn't find a positive vision, those, those, um, those uh, uh, negative forces will, will overwhelm the group. And, and so I, I think just the importance of, of casting a positive vision, what are we for? What are we wanting to do in the community? How are we for the, the, the gospel? How are we for um, uh, relationships and transformation? How are we for mission? Uh, what does that look like in the, in the city? Um, I think those are very important issues and, and they help you navigate uh, those who might want to take a church plant in a, a more a negative or sectarian direction. So, so that's, that's one thing I would say. The, the other thing I would say is just recognizing that there's going to be multiple pathways towards being effective in your church plant. There are some things that we value, right? There, there are values and, and there are commitments that you're going to make, but then there's also going to be strategies. And having the capacity to be flexible with those strategies is really important to, to say, navigating um, the disappointments. So for, for example, I was talking about resilience. So, so resilience means that I'm, I, I can be flexible enough to try different things um, and, and to employ and deploy multiple 
pathways because not everything is going uh, to work. And, um, and, and I think that's always a delicate balance of, okay, what are the things that I'm rock solid committed to? And what are the things that I'm open to seeing change? But negotiating that relationship is really important to being effective. Um, the other thing that was really emphasized to me related to networking, I think when we network, I think most church planners have this notion that every person I'm talking to needs to become a member of my church. Um, and so we have this expectation that we bring to that conversation. And uh, immediately that increases the intensity in that, that relationship. And we tend to not be able to have that relationship um, if we don't have an open-handedness towards it. That pressure will maybe um, make that relationship less fruitful. And, and, and so I think key to networking is having an open-handedness to the people that we meet with and asking the Lord, God, what are you doing with this relationship? Where are you taking this relationship? And I'm going to trust you with this relationship. Um, and it might be somebody that you're drawing to our church, but it might not be. And what we found, what I found is that not every single person that I met with or connected with even needed to be part of our church. Um, we had lots of people who became uh, incredibly strategic to us, but they never made Redeemer their home. And so, so I think just recognizing that networking isn't just about getting people to your church. It's about connecting with the community and getting to know your community and understanding how you might serve better um, and, and how you might um, be a blessing in that, in that, you know, that space, that, that community. And, right. and uh, that's a, that's a huge part that, that was a part of who, who, um, who we were. So those are, those are a couple of ideas. Yeah, I was I was thinking about how I'd answer that too because well, we've been here for about seven years now, and I'm like I'm trying to think about what I even what I was even thinking when I got here. Uh, <laughs> so it's a, it is a tricky question. I I do remember getting a lot of advice about like somebody I was I wanted to write brass tacks practical. Give me numbers that I'm supposed to like. How many people should I be in contact with? And I got started finding all this information, and I, I realized pretty quick that. Lafayette was such a relational community. I'd let so much of this number game get in my head. I was just like pressing through people and it was not leaving a good taste that it was sometimes you, you come into the process with this idea about how you come in and do it and what you just say and kind of the, the number game can get in there. You're, you can kind of lose sight of some of the relational pieces and just the connectional love your city, engage your city, get to know your people. Uh, it's really helpful. Thanks for, for sharing that. Well, and Josh, let me just jump on that. I, I, this is definitely a lesson learned. I, I don't know if this was advice. I'm sure somebody said this to me, but I didn't listen. But, but, but when you're church planning timelines, um, I mean, we all are, but we're navigating the budget questions and yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm not saying we can completely divorce ourselves from, from, from those questions, but, but particularly timelines associated with numerical growth. Um, you know, sometimes we have this temptation, okay, at year one, we're going to be this size. And at year two, we're going to be this size. And year three, we're going to be this size. And one of the things I always say to church planners that I coach is throw away your timeline. Yeah. 
the, the, whatever good they are, they mostly hurt us mm-hmm. because they create expectations that we measure ourselves. And the expectation has come, it's, it's not really coming from the Lord, I don't, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm much more concerned about creating healthy processes, healthy pathways. Right. And, and then trusting that the Lord will bring the outcomes. Yeah. Um, and, and I just think that is critical to long-term uh, success and sanity. Yeah. Um, so I'll just add yeah. that. So I, Tom and, and, and Josh, I walked into a room full of church planners probably two weeks after our launch service. And there was nothing dramatic about our launch service. It was just kind of the same group that was there. And that's what I expected. And it's, you know, slow, spiritually healthy growth, I think is the key over time. But I walked into the room and a couple of them asked how the launch service went. And I said, yeah, we had had about 400, 500 show up. And it was as if um, their spirits had just been ripped out of their bodies. Um, they were so unbelievably deflated and I, they quickly realized that I was kidding, uh, that I was joking, but uh, just their reaction and their response is just a reminder of how we often, often, uh, internalize it entirely too much and place our priorities in the wrong direction. Yeah. But it was funny. Well, and can I just jump on that Hunter? Because yeah. I think that is one of the things that we deal with as church planters we're we're in this space where comparison mm-hmm. becomes something that we, even if we don't talk about it, we see it in each other's faces. Right. And, um, uh, and this is where a coach can be so helpful because if you've ever talked to a church planner, even the, even, you know, the so-called success, they've all gotten beat up. Right. 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 And, and just the, the very wisdom that you just shared, um, that grounds us and not that doesn't make so much of those comparisons because those comparisons inevitably have to do with factors that we really can't take credit for. Right. Um, you know, if God has really blessed uh, numerically a, a group, it, it probably has, you know, very little to do with us. Sure. And, and then other, the contexts are so different. Um, I just think it's so important that we, we stay grounded in, in, in um, uh, you know, those gospel truths that, and we, we give, we allow that growth to be the product of the Lord and not, not ourselves. Right. Yeah. So Tom, you've gone from rooting for, and I'm sure you continue, we'll continue to root for the San Antonio Spurs to, you are now in Cardinal country, one of the best baseball towns in America. I'm sure Reed will have something to say later on as our resident mega baseball fan. Uh, but the Lord has called you to be the president of Covenant Theological Seminary. Uh, very thankful for that. Very grateful that you are in this role. And so I'm going to ask you a twofold question about um, Covenant. And one, as you look at the landscape of our culture, post-Christian secularization of our country, uh, millennials and generation Y and Z leaving the church, churches closing, uh, population growth. When you when you look at all of that, when you when you look at that equation, to me, it says 
church planting should be an essential and vital aspect of a seminary. And as I look across the landscape of seminaries in North America, that's that's not always the case, but Covenant has such a strong tradition of emphasizing church planting. Um, why is that? That's the first question. Um, and the second question is just tell us about what you're excited about um, at Covenant Seminary. Yeah, that's a great, thank you, Hunter, for that question. And um, you know, when I think about the, the purpose of a seminary, I, I really see covenant as part of the larger ecosystem of this thing we call the body of Christ, uh, you know, the church. And its role within that ecosystem is uh, ministerial preparation and training. And, and it's impossible for us to think about that equipping task of ministerial training and equipping without a view towards uh, discipleship and, and um, building the church. I, I think it's a mistake for seminaries to consider their role merely through the lens of uh, transferring information. So the task of a seminary is not transactional, but I would say the task of the seminary is transformational. It certainly involves being uh, trained and teaching the scriptures, uh, sound doctrine, um, our Westminster standards. Obviously, those are critical to everything we're doing here at Covenant Seminary. But um, in addition, we have to put that theology and biblical knowledge to work um, in the service of the church's mission that Jesus gave to his uh, to, to the disciples and and that is to make disciples to multiply to take the gospel to the world and and so that applied element of theological ed education is a huge part of what needs to happen in the seminary and it has been a priority at Covenant Seminary for, uh, I mean, really for more than 30 years. If you look at uh, under the leadership of Paul Koistra in particular, there was a, a significant shift in the orientation of, of Covenant's mission, and I'm grateful for that. And really, it was under his leadership that Covenant began to prioritize church planting. And, and I think it was rooted in this awareness that that uh, church planting is at the heart of what God has called the church to do, to multiply. Right. We all know the statistics about how in church plants, we tend to see more conversions and, um, and the church plants tend to be the most, most open to planting other churches. And there's just a vibrancy and a life um, and a health that accompanies the church planting space. Right. And, and so Covenant has, for many years, prioritized that. Uh, we think of the leadership of Phil Douglas, uh, who was critical in my own development as a professor. Uh, he's now since retired. But now Robert Kim is mm -hmm. occupying that chair, which is named for Phil and Rebecca, his wife. Yeah. And Robert Kim is passionate for church planting. And so 
You mentioned Robert Kim, professor at Covenant Seminary, and if you are listening to this episode, well, you are listening to this episode, uh, you can search our library and you can listen to an episode that we did with him um, earlier uh, that's very encouraging, so I just wanted to mention that. So, Tom, before we close out our time, uh, excited to hear about just the emphasis of a covenant and, and what's going on there. Uh, you know, I am excited about the upcoming uh, church planning summit that y'all are hosting as well. And maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what's, you know, as you've been kind of settling into the position there now for, I guess, a year, um, what's just some of the exciting things that you can see on the horizon and, and what's already going on at Covenant right now? So thank you, Josh. Um, as the new president, of course, this last year has been another uh, year of growth and change in my own life. <laughs> a year ago, I, I, I said, um, you know, I had a compass, but I didn't have a map. I feel like I've got a map. <laughs> um, I kind of know the, the rhythms and the refrains of, of, of an academic institution. And, and over the course of the last year, really see um, things that we're wanting to prioritize and, and, and just focus on and what I'm excited about. One of them is church planning. Um, this Again, this has been a priority of covenant, but we just want to continue to lean into that and excited about that. Training pastors, just recognizing that's at the core of who we are as an institution. And, and we um, want to be effectively training our pastors to negotiate this particular cultural moment. Hunter, a moment ago, you talked about the challenges, um, the demographical realities in our nation as Gen Z is now even more radically secularizing the millennial generation. And, and, and so we are facing a much more challenging cultural environment, even as we need more ministry leaders to reach this culture. Um, so so um, th this is making seminary education all the more important, as well as the training that we provide. And, and so just, just th these are huge priorities for us at Covenant Seminary. We're thankful for the legacy of training that Covenant has, but recognizes um, in each organization that has to be um, uh, redeveloped with each succeeding generation in the life of the institution. So that's where we are. And I'm, I'm super excited about the, the hiring and Drew Martin, Dr. Drew Martin, who's joining us. Uh, he just joined us this summer. And uh, Dr. Martin is uh, an expert systematician in the Westminster Confession um, and the moment, the cultural moment that surrounded the formation of the standards. And we're excited about him coming onto our faculty to um, give uh, um, really that, that training that I think is so critical to um, longevity in, um, uh, in, in pastoral and, and ministry leadership, because it's the found it's the forming the foundation, that theological foundation. So, so excited about that. And, um, and just really thankful for the opportunity to share with you all about covenant as well as church planning. Well, we're so thankful that you could join us and leading a seminary is a big task. It's an important role. So I'd encourage our listeners not only to pray for Covenant Theological Seminary, but to pray for you as well. Um, you're a big part of church multiplication. You are a big part of reaching people for the sake of Christ. And that's a significant and honorable and Christ-worthy thing. So, Tom, we're so glad that you joined us. And thank you. Thanks, guys.
That's the last word for now. Thanks to you for joining us and listening today. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter or Facebook at Five Points Planting or by email at reformedplanting at gmail.com. See you all next time. Five Points Church Planting is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.